0: Broadcasting live from the ESPN 690 and Ajara Levine Studios. This is Action Sports Jax on ESPN 690 with Brent Martineau and Austin Lane. I
1: like to think so. Um, I think it's it's very important that everyone holds each other accountable. And um, There are no feelings in any of this. It's, not, it's nothing personal. So um, if I make a mistake, I need to know it. And I need to be as hard on myself as I am on others. Um, and so I want to be held to the same standards as, as everyone else. That's a hard one. He's a Jaguar. Oh, okay. Well,
0: <laughs> I'm out. Is playing the Jags this week. Oh, Herbert, yep. man.
1: Damn, I'm sorry, man. I thought we were in, like, Jacksonville mode here. I was thinking, like, Joe Showbert or somebody. Nah, Justin
0: Herbert. Yeah, I mean, you it, <laughs> what? You made me think Joe Showbert's wife, by the way. I said that to you guys. So Dragging
1: I'm- him. <laughs> Slaying him on, on TikTok right now. Absolutely slaying that poor guy. Like, is it bad enough he came from Cleveland to Jacksonville? Obviously, i mean, you know the team's not doing that well, and now you got to make fun of the guy. Like, if you guys haven't seen it, go check out TikTok. If you have it, I don't. Who showed it to me? Thankfully, I'll,
0: sh- I'll share it on our Facebook.
1: Go ahead page. and share it on the Facebook page. But it is uh, it is pretty funny, man. She's got a great personality. I- I'm sure she's probably from Wisconsin too. A lot of great personalities up there in Wisconsin, Coos. Take my word for it. Hey, listen, we got a lot going on tonight. We got, uh, the, the barn burn. That's going to be the Eagles and Giants Thursday night football.
0: How would uh, you, how would you try to sell that to someone? Like that, this game tonight? Yeah.
1: Um, well, do you want to watch the presidential debate or football? That's, that's how <laughs> I would sell it. Okay. Or maybe you can go back and forth. Now I'm, I'm going to have picture to picture going. I'm only, not sure who's only gonna one be of the audio. Those is gonna
0: have a mute button sadly. I know i know
1: exactly we'll see how the audio goes here. I'll probably lean more towards this, uh towards the presidential uh you know debate just because I know what it's gonna be about the eagles Giants game who knows man you know the the n f c least if you will um it's it's a dumpster fire like if I was Roger Goodell, I would seriously consider if one of the like so let's say in, in a perfect world that The champion of the the NFC East wins maybe six games and they go-to playoffs. If I'm Roger Goodell, shutting it down. I'm like, absolutely not. If I'm Roger Goodell, I'm I'm going to the league offices. I'm saying, no, no. You know what? No one from the East can go. Let's bring somebody else in from the West or whatever it's going to be, but nobody's going to go from the East because it's not going to work like that. Not on my watch. If you win six games in a season – you do not deserve to go to the playoffs. It's not the NBA. It ain't the NHL. All right? This is professional football. Have a little class, have a little sub dignity, and understand that if a team, and mark my words, Coos, mark my words, I've never said the B word before, boycott. But seeing how the Jagos are playing, I got nothing in it for me. If a six win team goes to the playoffs, I might boycott. I might do it.
0: The show or NFL?
1: No, the NFL. Oh, no, okay. I, I'm, I'm, come on, man. I'm going to boycott the show. Someone's got to pay the bills. You know what I'm saying? Come on, man. i got a kid in kindergarten. i got to pay the bills here. I'm not going to break out the show. I have fantasy football to worry about anyways. And we'll get into that in a little bit in terms of fantasy football. There's some latest developments here revolving around fantasy football corruption that I can't get to. But real quick, like I said, we got a barn burn tonight. Eagles, Giants. If that's not your speed, presidential elections tonight. No baseball, sorry. But we got a lot of things going on tonight. Why not chase it down, Kuz, with a nice pepperoni pizza, or any topping of your choice. Just don't make it pineapple because you know how I feel about that. Let's go, call cool. Caller number four. You call into the show right now, 904-362-9901 or star star 690. Call into the show right now, and I'll give you a free gift card to, to, to Donato's Pizza. Right? Caller number is it four? Yeah, four yeah. is good. Caller number four. Is that good with you? Does that yeah. make your job harder?
0: No, no, that's fine. So so call number 16, then? 16 makes it a little stressful. All right, so
1: let's go call number four, then. Call number four, we'll give you a free gift card to Donato's Pizza. Um, compliments of ESPN 690. Hey, you know, every Thursday we like to do the FSU at four. And it's a big game for the Seminoles coming up here as they travel to Louisville. A big game for a couple of reasons, right? You're coming off of a big win against number five UNC. Now I get all the haters out there. Well, it was North Carolina, the Big Ten hasn't played yet. North Carolina wasn't a top. Doesn't really matter. At the end of the day, when we go back to the you know the the, the voids of history, we're gonna see North Carolina at one time was number five in the nation, and we're not gonna ask how they got there. We're gonna go on with our lives. So Florida State beat North Carolina. That's a huge, huge game. It's a huge game from recruiting. It's a huge game for confidence-building, and it's a huge game, obviously, for the fans where it's like, you know what? It's been bad for so long. We saw that Jacksonville State game went in the first half, the Notre Dame game. Finally, Florida State Seminole fans have something to cheer about. So with that being said, this begs the question now traveling to Louisville. And keep in mind, we're talking about a Louisville Cardinals team right now that gave Notre Dame a run for their money for three quarters. At the end, they kind of faltered. They kind of sputtered. But for three quarters, Louisville played them tough. All right? And I was getting ready to see another upset um along those lines, a la Florida State and North Carolina. Didn't happen, though. My point, though, is this. We've seen what Florida State has done these past couple games in terms of adversity, right? I feel like this team, adver- and I'm not sure what the slogan of this team is. I think it's like keep climbing or something like that. The slogan should be adversity. Right? Because ever since Mike Norvell got on campus, it's been about adversity, right? There's a miscommunication between Mike Norvell and his players, spearheaded by Marvin Wilson. Um, and I just feel like the past, you know, couple of weeks or so, it's been adversity with obviously Notre Dame beating you like they beat you. Jacksonville State doing their thing in the first half. You're looking pretty bad. People are saying, ah, Florida State, Mike Norvell, not the man for the job. They come out, they beat North Carolina, and now what are we talking about? The resurgence. All of a sudden, Florida State football is back. So we've seen what Florida State can do with adversity. Now comes the question, what can Florida State do when they're kind of the guy again? What can Florida State do with confidence now? We haven't seen this type of Florida State football in a long time. And you're playing on the road against a Louisville team who plays some pretty good defense. And you're playing on the road against a Louisville team that Jordan Travis has a little history with, spent some time there in Louisville. So it's a big game from both parties. So I'm going to be looking for what type of Florida State comes out now. You know, I think the burden of Marvin Wilson a little bit. You saw him make play after play after play in that North Carolina game. I like the fact that Marvin Wilson is putting hay in the barn, if they will, putting water in the basement, if they will. And he's making a name for himself in that draft stock. Like, listen. It's a foregone conclusion. Marvin Wilson will probably be a pretty good NFL player. Like, we all knew that, right? But I think from being that bridge guy like I always talk about, from being the guy that's going to usher in the new era of Florida State football, it's great to see him playing well, um, you know, jumping around, having fun, because that's the guy right there. Like, to me, if Marvin Wilson does well, the entire Florida State Seminoles do well. Like, that guy is contagious. That's the leader of that team. All due respect to Mike Norvell, who I think eventually will take over as, you know, the head honcho, let's just say. But I think it's just as much as as, uh, Marvin Wilson's team as it is Mike Norvell's team. So it's great to see Marvin Wilson playing well. I'm just curious to see what type of Florida State comes out now that they have confidence. Because two things are going to – well, one of two things are going to happen. Mike Norvell is going to get his guys ready to play a game that, let's be honest, they should win, right? They should – on paper – the matchup, they should win this game. I get it, Louisville's linebackers, very tough, might have a tough time running against them, but Florida State should win this game. So either they come out confident that Florida State Swag is back and they dominate, or they don't know how to handle being the front runner now and they crumble. To me, this is a big game for that Florida State locker room, but it's even a more important game for Mike Norbell, because now you have Florida State where you want him. All eyes are on you, right? Recruiting is going to go up a little bit. You beat the number five team in the country. What do you do against a team now with confidence that you should beat? I can't wait to check that out. It's going to be, I mean, listen, I understand that the North Carolina game, that's a huge game for Florida State, and I get I say it every single week. It's kind of cliche. Well, this is a big game. This is a big game. Believe me when I say this is a big game, not only for this team right now, but I think also the future of Seminole football. I mentioned fantasy football a little bit. And, Kuz, how much time do we have here cuz I am about to go on a rant. I'm about to expose some people and I need some time to operate.
0: We got about 6 5ish minutes.
1: You know what? 6 5ish minutes. That's that's a real thing. I'll go with that all day. That <laughs> that made a lot of sense. I like where you I like where your styles at. If you guys have been listening to the show the past couple of days, you know that I'm a fantasy football junkie. Right? And uh I love talking about it. Brett Marno's actually been talking about it a lot more than I have this year because let's be honest everybody. You guys know what you get with me. Right, you, you get production, you get bragginess, and when I'm 6-0 and 0 right now, well, it's hard to say a lot of negative about my fantasy football team. Yes, I talk about Kyler Murray way too much. No, Kyler Murray is not the quarterback here at the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's Gardner Minshew job. And I see you guys in my mentions on Twitter saying, what's up with the infatuation of Kyler Murray? I see you, uh, you know, Jax Bubbler, the guy from Wisconsin. I see you, you know, hating on Kyler Murray all the time. Please understand. Like, yeah, I think Kyler Murray's a good quarterback, but he's the quarterback of my fantasy football team. He's the captain of my football team. So, yeah, I got to cheer for him, just like I did with Lamar Jackson last year. Have I said one thing about Lamar Jackson this year? Doubt it. Brent has, because Brent's got him. I think he spent a third-round pick on him. <laughs> How's that working out for you? So, anyways, we were talking yesterday a little bit, and obviously this is a work fantasy football league, and I want to bring you guys in on this because believe me when I say That if I see something wrong in the world or whatever is going on in society, I'll be the first one to call that thing out, right? And believe me when I say that I'm putting my job on the line right now because this, what's going on right now, this involves me, my coworkers, my bosses, and maybe even some higher-ups I don't even know about. Like this is a conspiracy that I'm going to blow the door wide open on. So yesterday, I tried to make a trade. And it was with, uh, you know, a a great friend of the show. She works with Action Sports Jacks, Olivia Tasley. Great girl. Actually sat next to her at an AEW event as we both covered it. I thought she was a great girl, but it turns out that she is a wolf in fashionable clothing. And here's why. Yesterday, I tried to trade her Josh Allen and Mark Andrews for Travis Kelsey and CD Lamb. She doesn't have a quarterback right now. She was going the way everywhere. She was going with Carson Wentz as her starting quarterback. She is a quarterback away from having a fantastic team. And I said, you know what, Olivia? I like you. You're a good girl. Let me go ahead and facilitate that quarterback need by trading for Josh Allen. Now, yes, Mark Andrews has underachieved last year. But y'all got a short memory if you think Mark Andrews isn't a good tight end. So that was the trade. Josh Allen, Mark Andrews for C.D. Lamb and um, Travis Kelsey. I bring it up on the show. What does Brent Martineau do? Makes fun of me, says I'm, I'm, I'm in the wrong, doesn't even give me a chance to defend myself. And this is why I'm talking about it right now, because I know what side Brett Martineau's on right now, and it's not my side. Like I said, this is a conspiracy, and it goes higher up. So Brent Martineau made fun of me. Coos, what did you say about it? You, you weren't that turned off about it.
0: I thought that trade was okay, and then we started talking about how she had picked up Carson Wentz, and yeah. the last two weeks his numbers were decent. So that's kind of where we but
1: left it. but but it wasn't like such a crazy trade where I was like, "Whoa!" I mean, like you should have, but like you know like you see you see where I was coming from, right? Yes. Yeah. So right now I think you're neutral. I don't have a good read on you quite yet, but you're like Switzerland right now. So with that being said, we're all good coups. So imagine my shock and my. In, in complete disarray. When I look at the trade wire this morning, because keep in mind I'm running this fantasy football team, and I see that my boss, the guy who brought me on in the first place, the guy who is writing the paychecks, Nick, we call him, Nick has traded, and this is not an exaggeration, Nick has traded Russell Wilson, the the, the probably the MVP coming up here of the NFL season has traded Russell Wilson for, get ready for it, Tyler Higby and ryan fitzpatrick that's where i'm sitting right now and 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 i can't help but be reminded of a a famous quote from the movie pool hall junkies where christopher walken his character is talking about how the lions and the, the hyenas they live together and every once in a while the king of the jungle me obviously I'm a fantasy football champion last year. Gonna win it this year again. Me being the lion is getting circled right now by hyenas. Brent Martineau, Olivia Tassley, boss man Nick, they're all circling. You know why? Cause I'm a nice guy. And people take my, mistake my kindness for, what's up, Coos? We are? Okay. Mistake my kindness for arrogance. So with that being said, I'm just gonna say it right now. I, I see you hyenas. I see you guys circling in. And you better not, listen to me. You better not pray. Oh, I guess you better pray. You better pray. Sorry, I'm a little emotional right now. You better pray that I don't see Olivia in the finals, I don't see Nick in the finals, or I don't see Brent, Brent Martin in the finals. Because at the end of the day, sometimes a lion's got to remind you who he is. And I'm getting pushed to my limit, I'm getting cornered right now, and I'm about to remind everybody what what the lion does. All right, now that that got vented out and everything like that, the conspiracy has been blown, let's switch back to UFC a little bit. And listen, We we had great golf conversation yesterday, right? And and I was here for it. I didn't take part in it. I listened. I ate my lunch. But since Brent Martineau is on his way back from Streamsong right now, and I'm not not the most avid golfer – And some people like to call me Thanos, right? Because I believe in balance. I believe if we talk about golf on one day, well then guess what? I talk pro wrestling or UFC the next day. Simple as that. And since that being the case, and since Brent's not here right now, I'm going to my second uh, interview of the day, let's just say, regarding MMA. And this guy needs no introduction. Um, I think he's one of the biggest journalists in the world in any sport, but obviously you know him from UFC, and you know him from some NBA talk too a little bit. He's on ESPN. Um, you, You can see him with Daniel Cormier, you can see him with Chael Sonnen. We are happily uh, joined right now by the one and only Ariel Hawani. Ariel, man, how you doing?
2: Hey, what's up, man? First of all, what a promo you were cutting. Who... Who has upset you? What was going on over there? I just walked into the fire over yeah. there. Is that a shoot or is that a work?
1: No, no, Ariel, th- th- that is 100% shoot right now, man. And I apologize. Wow. I-, I-, I apologize if the oven got turned up a little too hot. If it- it's fantasy yeah. football related, the-, the hyenas are circling oh, okay. right now, and I'm a lion, and sometimes I got to show the hyenas what I can do.
2: Now I was told, speaking of pro wrestling, that that you were having me on to talk a little AEW. Am I am I right or am I wrong? Are We talking <laughs> AEW or are we talking? We're in Jacksonville, right? We want to talk AEW.
1: But listen, Ariel, man, I know you can do it all just like I can. I, I brought you on to talk UFC 254, but oh, okay. I, but, but right. I might have a couple all eight wrestling questions for you if you don't oh, okay. mind.
2: No, no, it's all good. It's all good. Let's talk UFC.
1: All right, cool, cool. So check it out. So we got UFC 254. Uh, you know, this Saturday, I believe a, a two o'clock start time for the main event, if not I'm not right. mistaken, correct? Correct. So two o'clock start time. The main, card. Time. Yeah, main yeah. card. Main event will be around 5. Okay, great. Great, thank you. Yep. So we got the main event going on on 5. And listen, I could talk mixed martial arts and UFC with you all day. I don't have that much time, unfortunately. So we got to talk oh, about Gagey and Khabib, right? And yes, when we talk about Gagey and Khabib, if I'm trying to explain it to a casual MMA fan, I explain it like this. Khabib is probably the greatest wrestler in the world in terms of mixed martial arts, right? Now he doesn't have an All-American Championship. He doesn't have a gold medal, but I'll tell you what he has. An impressive, undefeated record. And to me, Justin Gagey is like Brad Pitt in Fight Club when that boss came downstairs to punch him in the face numerous times. And Brad Pitt just kept smiling and saying, is that all you got? And it broke the mob boss and Brad Pitt got his way. Like, Justin Gagey is not human sometimes when you watch him fight. So you have two guys who know exactly who they are right now and what they're going to bring to the cage. How great is this fight going to be?
2: Okay, well, first of all, I was with you up, at, and this is going to blow your mind probably, I was with you up until the Fight Club analogy, because believe it or not, I never saw a Fight Club. Oh, How about that? Wow. Can you imagine? <laughs> can you imagine? I've devoted my life to covering MMA, and I never saw Fight Club. Unbelievable. So now, is anyway. This, is
1: this a, I mean, I know, you, you just can't sidetrack <laughs> that, Ariel. Is, is that a personal choice, or you just haven't got around to seeing it? No,
2: nah, I just haven't gone around. I mean, I'm not, like, holding out if it's, <laughs> if it's available and I can watch it. I just... I never got around to it. I don't know why. It's a weird thing. It's a weird quirk in my life. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah. So that, and I, and I love Brad Pitt. He's tremendous. Um, and Edward Norton as well. I think it was in it. Um, Absolutely. So it was. It was. I mean, like you set it up. It's, it's it's a tremendous fight because you have, in my opinion, the most dominant fighter not only today but of all time in UFC history. Uh, Habib is 28 and 0. He's trying to get to 30 know, before potentially retiring. He's only lost one round in his UFC career officially, and that was round three against Conor McGregor. And the guy is amazing because, as you said, he's a tremendous wrestler. He's a tremendous grappler. We know what he wants to do. Everyone knows what he wants to do, and yet he continues to do it. And he's so good at what he does. He is so dominant, so strong, so powerful. But I think, truthfully, that Justin Gaethje will be his toughest opponent in the UFC to date. Why? Justin Gaethje is a former All-American from Northern Colorado University. He's a Division I wrestler. He has incredible striking skills. He has power in his hands. If he can keep this fight in the middle of the octagon and not get pushed up against the cage and not get taken down, if he can keep it in the center of the octagon, use his light kicks to keep Habib at bay, and then we talk about a, a striking match, a kickboxing match, he's a better striker than Habib. When we talk about his power, he has more power than Khabib dangerous things will happen. So that's the key to this fight. And I think considering his wrestling background and considering just how tough Justin Gaethje is, he has a legit
1: chance in this fight. And you're absolutely right, Ariel. And listen, and I talked about the chill a little bit earlier on in the show. We had Chill Sonnen on as well, so it's a little dipping. Oh, uh, double dip in the I have already. What do you mean? Hey, hey, yeah, 'Cause I'm, t- I'm talking wrestling, I'm talking NBA two with you a little bit, man. So you, you can do it all, done. man. I got respect for you, I got respect for you. But I think you're absolutely right. Um, in terms of Justin Gage's skill set. And if you go back to his last fight against Tony Ferguson, which was on a little bit of a short notice, listen, he passed with flying colors. Everyone is afraid of Tony Ferguson because of the violence that he brings. Justin Gage he stared that down and said, bring it on, and obviously you saw that outcome. I want to go back to two fights ago, and I talked with Cho this a little bit. I want to go back to Ali Iaquinta, and I want to go back to Khabib. To me, that fight was very telling because in the fifth round, and keep in mind, this was a short-notice fight as well, but in the last round of that fight, Ally Quinta started jabbing Khabib up a little bit. I don't want to see say Khabib was tired or anything like that, and Ally Quinta's a tough dude in his own right, a great wrestler, but the fact that Ally Quinta got off a little bit on Khabib kind of leads me to believe, well, and with all due respect to Ally Quinta, Justin Gagey, I think, is on a different level than, you know, Al is. So with that being said, I mean, should I think, like, should I put so much stake in that fight right now, or should I just say, well, look what happened to Dustin Poirier, and I should move on?
2: Well, you know, I remind you that Dustin Poirier actually tagged uh, Habib in the second round and, and, and seemed to have rocked him a little bit. And so, yes, there are openings there. Um, Habib's team will tell you that he was just playing around with Iaquinta at that point and just kind of wanted to show off his – uh his improved striking. That's what his yeah. team will tell you. I don't know if I buy that. I think I did a great job on 24 hours' notice. I don't know if, you know, one plus one equals two here. But here's the big difference. Gaethje's a better wrestler than both of those guys, and he's just so tough. The guy doesn't know how to give up. And if he keeps this into that sort of calm, cool, collected fight that he's had in his last four fights, and in particular against Tony Ferguson back in May – I really do think he has a chance. The massive key in all this, and I'm sure Chael said the same, don't get the fight up against the cage. If you're up against the cage, it's, 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 it's elementary at this point. That's where Khabib does his best work. You gotta keep the fight in the center of the octagon, you gotta control the octagon, and make him fight you there.
1: Ariel, you know, we've had Dana White on before. And listen, I understand his job as a promoter. You got to hype everything up. I mean, obviously, that's your job. If you can't hype stuff up, you're probably not good at your job. With that being said, though, on Monday, he said it was trending as it's gonna be the biggest fight of all time. Now, let's be honest. In the States, when you air this thing, you know, the, the main card starts at 2 p.m. Um, you got college football to worry about, obviously. I'm going to be tuned into that as well. Um, one yeah. could wonder how the numbers are going to do in the States. And one could also wonder, let's keep in mind here, I'm a I'm an MMA purist. I fight myself. Obviously, I'm going to watch this fight. I'm excited for this fight. But you have two blue-collar guys who don't really give you the sound bites per se. They let their skills do the talking. Do you see this fight trending? I mean, obviously around the world we're talking about here, trending as the biggest pay-per-view of all time, or are those numbers going to be a little inflated, you think?
2: No, I don't. I mean, and that's just me being honest. Um, You said it. You were going up against college football in the fall, the return of Big Ten, there's a lot right now on television as far as sports are concerned. It's a, it's an odd time. It's 2 p.m. Fans aren't used to that. I, I keep getting texts up until today. Is it really a 2 p.m.? Why does it change? People are a little bit confused because it rarely happens for the UFC. And uh, you're talking about, like, the biggest numbers in UFC history, pay-per-view buys, his wife, like 2.4, 2.5, Conor Habib. There's just no way. If that happens... I would be utterly blown away. I'd be very, very, very surprised, extremely surprised. That's not taking anything away from this fight. I hope it does great numbers. It should do great numbers. But all those factors combined, look, Dana's blowing off social media numbers and impressions and things like that, and that doesn't equal pay-per-view buys. We all know this. Like just because a video gets 2 million views or whatever <laughs> doesn't mean that 2 million. You know, so I get what he's doing. He's trying to put it out there. He's trying to get people talking. We're talking about it. But no, I do not think this will be the uh, the highest grossing pay-per-view in USC history.
1: Joined by ESPN's Ariel Hawani. Ariel, i got one more MMA question, and then we'll get into the fun stuff real quick. But you mentioned Conor McGregor a little bit, you know, and right now there's – I don't know if it's even official yet, but it's Conor McGregor, supposedly, and Dustin Poirier. And, you know, being an MMA fan like I am and being a fighter like myself, I understand that sometimes these things can fall through. And I also understand that if you're Conor McGregor right now, you're going to fight as the last event on any pay-per-view card. You're not going to agree to say, well, you know what? We'll let some champions fight you know after me. Like, that's not how it works with Conor McGregor. So I guess my question to you is, Is there a lot of legs right now to this Conor McGregor-Dustin Poirier fight, or are we going to have some trouble in terms of what card do you put it on, where do you put it on, where is it going to be, and all that stuff?
2: It's not a done deal, but it is trending in that direction January 23rd um, of next year, and it would be the main event. Yeah, there's no talk of anyone going above it. I mean, Conor's bigger than any belt, so it would be crazy to put someone
1: above him. Gotcha. Okay, so now it's getting the fun stuff. AEW, you mentioned it, Ariel, and I'm sure you watch yeah. it just as much as you watch, you know, that, that other network over there too. I can't really talk about the other network because I'm not paid to say AEW, uh, but it helps to know Tony Khan. You know what I'm saying? So when we talk about AEW, uh, man, we're about a year into it now. What are your thoughts about it, Ariel?
2: Yeah, I, I like when there's uh, competition. I like when there's another product. It's fun having AEW and NXT. Going head-to-head, head. I will say that I don't watch it as religiously as I once did, but you know, I, I have my finger on the pulse. I know what's going on. I think it's good. It reminds me of the old raw nitro days, yeah. and uh, I wish them the best. I think competition breeds success. I think when WWE and even when UFC didn't have competition, you see them getting a little stagnant, a little stale, and I think the type of leaders at WWE and UFC are similar in the sense that when someone's nipping at their heels, trying to come after them, they ramp things up. And that means a better product for the fans, bigger fights, all that stuff. So I wish them the best. I've never met Tony. I've never talked to him. Seems like a great guy. Love JR. Love Jericho. Love some of the names there. And uh, I think they've done especially a great job in the pandemic um, with their products, their looks on TV i think they're doing good things
1: well and you said it and to me like listen there's a lot to take away from aw to to echo your point a little bit i think the greatest thing right now that it's competition and with competition obviously the results um they get elevated a little bit so i think it's good for wrestling fans and wrestling peers out there alike my question about chris jericho though like you talk about a guy who i think he's on his third or fourth decade right now of wrestling and continues to reinvent himself um I guess just where does Chris Jericho stand in terms of you know some of the greatest of all time? Let's just call it because for what that guy's been able to do, decade after decade, and reinvent himself, um, it's a rare thing. And now he's an AEW. Obviously, he's probably the biggest name in there. So, how much of a fan are you of Chris Jericho?
2: Oh, le champion! He's the man. He's a he's a he's a Canadian legend, and he deserves all the bubbly that he can get. Y2J was incredible. Lionheart was incredible. Um, I got a chance to interview him last year for the first time and that was a great thrill uh, his dad was a hockey legend uh, Jericho is one of the all-time greats in the history of the sport a great representative um, or of the business I should say and the way what impresses me most about him is that he's able to evolve and change his persona change his gimmick and continue to catch lightning in a bottle whether it's Lionheart or Y2J and then the list stuff uh, and now champion like the guy is just an amazing mind, so I'm a huge, huge admirer of his.
1: Fantastic. All right, I got one last question for you. This is NBA-related. I know you're a big NBA fan, and it's so awesome to watch you talk about it because you can tell you're super passionate about it. I'm not going to lie. I'm a Milwaukee Bucks fan, and you better tell your Raptors to keep your grubby little hands off Giannis side of Kempo because I'm not going to handle him going to Toronto, all right? So that's a little caveat right there. But my question to you, Ariel, is what are some of your biggest takeaways from the bubble? Because we had so many stories, and it seemed like the bubble was a perfect showcase for guys like Luca, guys like Jamal Murray, and guys even like the Toronto Raptors and nick nurse and the job that he's been able to do what are some of the things that you take away from that nba bubble this season
2: first of all the fact that you know the nba pulled it off and there were no positive tests you'll recall when when they were talking about going there and, and the numbers were rising in that area orange county in florida uh people were saying like you're crazy you're reckless all this stuff and the fact that they got no positive tests was an incredible victory and then the competition was great no one took You know, no one took it not very seriously. No one, you know, no one was just all like, all right, we're going to go out there and just kind of go through the motions. No, you could see that the competition was played at its highest. And honestly, what really bothered me throughout, especially at the beginning, was people saying that the winner deserves an asterisk, that it's not a real championship. Mm. Screw that. I I think the Lakers deserve two championships (laughs) for what they went through, like mentally and physically, what they had to endure. Being in that quote unquote bubble i know they were living good and they' their athletes and all that stuff but still man it is a tough thing to keep going back and doing it over when you're used to playing a certain way in a certain environment I give them so much credit the heat were a tremendous story uh, the whole thing was a joy and and it was very sad when it ended because usually when the league you know when, when when the season ends we know that you know then we're getting the draft and then summer league and whatnot now we don't even know when they're coming back is it mlk junior day is it christmas is it march and so i'm a little sad about the state of things but of course we are sad about everything going on in the world and i just think that what the nba did and the nhl by the way was absolutely. nothing short of amazing
1: absolutely well we don't talk about the nhl that much because the Tampa Bay lightning one and even though i'm in jack so i'm not yeah. the biggest i'm not the biggest Tampa Bay lightning fan ever uh well, one final question for you and obviously i think you're a toronto's raptors uh, toronto raptors fan correct
2: Raptors and Nick. I mean, grew up a Nick fan. But, you know,
1: now now I'm an
2: unbiased sideline reporter, so I just kind of
1: keep it real. I I got you. Well, I guess, you know, to echo the Raptors question a little bit here, I mean, how impressed are you with what Nick Nurse has done? And, like, I I think, like, sometimes I think of, like, the Golden State Warriors. Yeah, maybe Steve Kerr's a great coach, but you also got Steph Curry, you got Clay Thompson, you had Kevin Durant. Like, of course you guys are going to win. But I think, like, teams like the Heat now, and obviously the Raptors, they're ushering in a new era where it's like, you know what? You don't have to have those three big stars to be successful if you have great coaching and great camaraderie on your team you can go far would you agree with that
2: 100 and it doesn't start with the great coaching it starts with the great leadership Masai Ujiri is the real key he changed the entire culture there no one wants to play for the Raptors and by the way and I'm not joking here someone who deserves a lot of credit is Drake uh, hiring Drake as their, quote-unquote, global ambassador made the Raptors cool, made people know, like, all right, this is a good place to play. It's not Siberia. It's not <laughs> freezing Canada. They're actually hip. I'm not joking. It was a very smart business move on their part because you know all those players. They love Drake. I love Drake. Of course. He does. I mean, he's a tremendous uh, talent. So having him sitting courtside and, and representing the team was doing. Then Masai turning them almost into, like, the Spurs North and the culture that they have and the scouting and the drafting, the picks that they've had. I mean, not some of them aren't, you know, lottery picks, but they're, mm-hmm. they're finding guys like OG Ananobi, finding those diamonds in the rough. Incredible stuff, right? And then you, you have the, the cojones to fire the coach of the year, Dwayne <laughs> Casey, and hire his assistant who's never been a head coach before after you had a pretty good run in the playoffs and then make the trade for one of the most – you know, popular uh, Raptors of all time, DeMar DeRozan, for Kawhi, when you aren't really sure if he's going to stick around or even report. Uh, mm. It's just an incredible thing what he's done. And, and Nurse has turned into the kind of coach that you want to play for and also the kind of coach who likes to take risks. I remember in December, they were down like 25 to the Mavs in the fourth quarter, and he did a full core press. You never see full core press. In the finals, you saw him do a box and one You never sure. see a box and one And so I love the way he thinks outside of the box. I love they ha- that they have this culture, this community, this, this camaraderie. It's a beautiful thing what they've done with that team. And when you consider where they've come from, when they were the Purple Dinosaur team playing at the Cavernous Sky Dome, it's really an incredible success story.
1: MMA, NBA, Professor Russ, the guy can talk right. it all, man. Ariel Hawane, I appreciate you coming on the show.
2: Thanks, my man. Talk
1: right, to you soon. Have a good one. Who's driving this podcast? Would you agree with what he said there about the Toronto Raptors? I thought he made some great points. And as I, much as I don't like, I mean, like I, I like Drake. I respect Drake. I don't like him on the sidelines talking crap to Milwaukee Bucks two years ago. But I get it. You agree with him?
0: I do. Yeah, uh, it's a it, good point. Definitely, it's a it's a whole change. I'm sad you didn't talk ask him about the new coaches.
1: Oh, that's about my bad. I mean, we only had so much time. You know, know what I'm saying? I'm trying to. Hey, I'm trying to make your job easier, sir. I know it's okay. yeah. But no, I mean, he brings up I and mean, listen, we're talking UFC, but one of the greatest points in that conversation was the fact that, listen, the Toronto Raptors kind of became cool a little bit. And a lot of it had to do with Drake. It's crazy how that worked out because, listen, no one was talking about the Toronto Raptors before. Drake, I'll be honest, because you talking about him. I mean, he had Vince Carter, you know, but even then, like, it was like Siberia. So I thought that was a great point. I've never been to Toronto. Always wanted to go. Drake says it's great. I bet it is, man. Maybe we'll have to do a little field trip there for ESPN 690 in Toronto one day to cover a Maple Leafs game or a Raptors game. Wait, When we get back, I break down who's going to get Trevor Lawrence. I've devised a formula. I'm a mad scientist. Wait till you see what I've uncovered. More on ESPN 690 when we get back.
0: Brent Martineau. How many push-ups did you do in three minutes? Did you try the challenge? Austin Lane.
1: I don't, I don't need lactic acid build up when I'm in fight camp. Brent, you kidding me? Take my word for it. I've been more
0: than you. Action Sports Jacks on ESPN 690.
2: You know, uh, I, I agree The talent is there. You know, we just got to be able to continue to put them in the right spots. Uh, and, and when they're in the right spots, we got to make plays. But, you know, I think we have some talented guys on this defense. We just got to continue to get better. We're just young at this point in
1: time. Well, first of all, that, that was Todd Wash, right? I'm sorry, Coach Todd Walsh. So what am I, two for three today on the voice guessing? Not bad. Yeah, you, you guys are young right now because, well, you got rid of the older guys. You got rid of A.J. Boye. You got rid of uh, Clarence Campbell. You got rid of Ronnie Harrison. So, yep, you're, you're pretty young right now. I don't know, Kuz. Do, Kuz, do, do I take the "we're a young excuse? Like, do, Can I accept that, Kuz? You've known me for what now, two and a half years or so? We're homies. Do you think I would accept that too young excuse?
0: Yeah, I think you're cool with it. You think I'm
1: cool with it? No, think you no. think I'm cool with it? Yeah, no, I'm definitely not okay with it. Um, Listen, I'm, I'm not okay with it. I've been very adamant about this as well. I don't think COVID-19 is an excuse this year for coaches, and I don't think youth should ever be an excuse for coaches as well. Like, yeah, you, you have a young team, but that's by design. Like, this is what you guys wanted, and now you're one in five. Um, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> you know? Like, it's – I guess you can't have it both ways. Like you can't sit here and cut all your players that, you know, aren't quote unquote buying in and you go with a younger guy who seems to fit the mold a little better. And then you can't tell me like, well, we like what we got. Let's just wait and see what happens here. But we like what we got. And then it's one and five and I don't like what you got. And then you use the excuse that they're too young. You can't have it both ways. So either tell me in the beginning of the season, and go, you know what guys, we're young. Let's go ahead and temper expectations a little bit. All right. Um, I don't necessarily like what we have. All right. I think we got some pretty good key. We got some pretty good cogs here in this machine, but it's going to take some time. It's not what I heard. I heard that we like our locker room. It reminds me of that New Orleans Saints locker room that Doug Marone coached at. Yada, 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 yada. So you can't have it both ways. One in five. All right. And I see you, everybody out there on Twitter. And I see you guys in Facebook. And I see you in the, in the Jaguars groups that I'm a part of that I've been asked to join. And I don't really moderate or anything. I just post the show every once in a while to boost, boost that viewership. But I see you guys out there. And I see everybody talking about right now taking for Trevor Lawrence. And I see everybody talking about how this team should milk it in right now, throw it in and say, you know what? Let's go after Trevor Lawrence. And I see everybody saying how Trevor Lawrence is going to be like a a once-in-a-generational type of quarterback. I say two things. I say, number one, pump your brakes because Justin Fields hasn't played yet. And number two, I say, is Trevor Lawrence going to make the difference? Is he going to be the saving grace that puts your team to a a Super Bowl? Because I've said it before. The last quarterback to be taken first in every year of the draft that has won a Super Bowl is Peyton Manning. And that was, I believe, 1999, if I'm not mistaken. So that's over 20 years ago. Think about how many quarterbacks have been taken. Then think about how many quarterbacks are those who have been taken first, you know, the first quarterback taken. In the last 20-something years, only one quarterback has won a Super Bowl. So what does that tell you? It tells you that sometimes the best quote-unquote quarterback supposedly in the draft isn't always the answer. Now, I'm not going to be naive and say I think Trevor Lawrence is an average quarterback. Yeah, I've seen Trevor Lawrence play football. The guy looks like he's got it all, right? He's got athleticism. He's got the arm. He's got the leadership. He's not a loser. All he does is pretty much win. Like, the guy's got all the intangibles. And everybody rant and raves about him, all right? So I'm not sitting here trying to be a Trevor Lawrence denier. I'm just saying I'm not going to go out of my way to try to tank for a season on a quarterback who maybe wins you a Super Bowl, but as history has shown... Probably not will win you a Super Bowl. So with that being said, I broke down. And listen, we added the Vikings to the list today, right? Because what happened? They shut Daniel Hunter down. They trade away Yannick Ngakwe. Mike Zimmer supposedly the defensive guru that he is is just throwing the towel and saying, you know what, I'm good at defense, but not this year. Trevor Lawrence, come on down. Let's see what you got. Okay? So there are teams right now that are making plays to get Trevor Lawrence. It's evident. Now, once again, and I'm going to echo what I said in the first hour of the show, the guys in that locker room, those players, I don't care if it's the star player making $20 million a year or if it's that last guy on the roster who's on the bubble. Every guy in that locker room, I don't care the team they want to win. They don't want to turn on their radios and hear me talking crap about them. They don't want to read the newspapers if newspapers are still a thing. They don't want to go on Twitter and see everybody making fun of them because they can't win any games. Like, players don't want to go through that. So despite what expectations are for fans out there wanting Trevor Lawrence or wanting them to tank, I'm here to tell you right now because I should know firsthand players aren't buying that. All right? So uh, the, the the player's pride and their egos can apologize to you when they go out there, win games, and screw up the Trevor Lawrence draft. With that being said, I did a little research, right? And uh, before I get started here, here's a little caveat, and here's a little background information about this research. I looked at every single NFL team that right now, realistically, there's a possibility they can get Trevor Lawrence, depending on record and whatnot, Okay? I then took those teams, and I broke down every one of their schedules, okay? Now, that took me a little time, about an hour, but I care about this show, all right? I want to make it a good show. So I took every one of the schedules, and with my brain, I basically said, well, do they have a chance to win this game or not? So what that's going to be called could-win games. Every team I'm going to say has some could-win games to them. And that essentially states, you know what? In a perfect world, they can win this game. Now, don't get me wrong. This is football. There's always going to be upsets. There's always going to be things you don't see coming. There's always going to be injuries. Like, I understand that. But I'm just saying from what the rosters that I saw today that are contrived and the schedules that I saw today, I broke down the could-win games. So let's get started now. And this is uh basically I'm going by the odds that Vegas has these guys, you know, drafting um, Trevor Lawrence, um, Uh, A little bit of odds to say, you know, which team's going to finish worse than the NFL. And let's start from the top and let's work our way down a little bit to the very, you know, first pick of the draft as Vegas kind of has it right now. The first team that's actually mentioned, surprisingly, is Los Angeles Chargers. I didn't even do my due diligence of breaking this team down of their schedule and whatnot because at the end of the day, they're too talented of a roster right now to get the first pick of the draft. So, with that being said, Chargers, no. Yeah, I get it. They're 1-4 and four right now, I believe. Doesn't matter. Like, they're, they're not going to get Trevor Lawrence. There, there's no way. Now, and keep in mind, they got Justin Herbert as well, who they seem to love as they should, playing right now like a rookie of the year candidate, if you will. But the Chargers, too talented. They're going to win some games. Didn't even break them down. Next, which is a little more feasible, we have, you know, Coos has some ties with this team. Playing tonight, by the way, the Philadelphia Eagles. One, four, and one. I'm convinced right now that they are way too talented of a roster to be, you know, to finish first right now in the league in terms of the draft. It's just, it's not going to happen. Um, They have a lot of injuries right now. Carson Wentz is playing better. And when I broke down their games that they could win, and once again, these are could-win games, five, right? There's five games that they theoretically could win. That's way too many games that theoretically could win to get the first pick of the draft. So, Eagles, we'll see you later. They still might win the division with a 1-4-1 record right now, in case you're not looking. Next team, the Washington football team. This one makes a little more sense. Kyle Allen, not the guy. Dwayne Haskins, you move past from him. Roster is decimated by injuries right now. Defense, you know, is also decimated by injuries. I mean, the the whole team right now, Washington... Um, it's, it's a mess to say the least, right? And keep in mind, and this is also a metric I, I love to use about this whole drill here, this whole thing that I'm going through. We live in the NFL right now. It's all about offense, right? Well, in almost every offensive metric right now, the Washington football team is either dead last or top three and dead last. So that's a problem. They only average 275 yards a game. Quarterbacks are averaging like 350 a game. And the, the the team in general, rushing and passing, is averaging 275 yards a game. Yes, right now defenses are struggling. This is an offensive driven league, and the red. Uh, I'm sorry, and the, the football team does not have that. I broke down their schedule theoretically. Four, and this is generous. Four could win games. So, the, so the Washington football team, during are in the sweepstakes for sure. When we come back here on ESPN 690, I break down the other teams, and I say the Jaguars' chances of getting Trevor Lawrence and finishing with the worst record in the NFL. More when we come back on ESPN 690.
0: Sick of being upsold at gyms?